This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Consider a career with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. As a Boilermaker apprentice, you'll earn while you learn. We offer excellent wages and benefits. And as part of our no-cost, hands-on apprenticeship program, you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job. Become a union Boilermaker and get on your way to a great career. Visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. Listen to the Labor and Energy Show and get educated from expert guests about climate change. What they say and who they are will surprise you. Presented by PBF Energy, Neuter Construction, and Furness Electrical Contractors. The Labor and Energy Show, this Sunday night at 6. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. Welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. J-Doc, I can't believe it. As we come on the air, we are five months in to 2023, five months into uh, year two of the Labor and Energy Show. We've got a great guest lined up for today, a returning guest that kept you up all night right. last night with that con- uh, with some of the conversation you're going to have. Yeah, and, and, and it's funny because uh, today our guest is Robert Bryce, who's an acclaimed author, journalist, film producer. Last time he was on the broadcast last summer, uh, we talked about Juice, how electricity explains the world. That's a documentary he produced. Uh, And also, he's the host of the popular Power Hungry podcast and, of course, a public speaker. Uh, and, and, And so... Uh, last time we had Robert on the show, we had, it was actually, you mentioned it, I was up all night studying and working. Out. Well, I can tell you something funny. We're going to get into it. Last night, before, as I was preparing for the broadcast, and I'm excited to bring Robert in in, in, in a minute or so, but um, Brendan Williams uh, from PBF Energy sent me an article Robert just wrote. I was up all night again, not, not studying, but thinking about what was in that article, and we're going to talk about it. So... I mean, I couldn't be more excited about the about the broadcast. Yeah, good stuff. We thank everybody for tuning in and continuing to listen uh, to the narrative here on the Labor and Energy Show. I did want to cover uh, one initiative, J Doc. You know, we've done a lot of things in in 16 months, and I don't say that to um, with any sort of arrogance. I just say that because we uh, continued to try and expand the narrative, and now a nonprofit initiative um, that has developed from the Labor and Energy Show is starting to take hold um, and, and 
the, our listeners will start to hear, and we'll have more listeners as the initiative rolls yeah, absolutely, out. Absolutely, Joe. It's our Energy Education and Awareness Initiative. We had a board of directors. It's part of our Advocacy United nonprofit. It's about um, education, common sense, and energy. Educating the public, our political leaders, uh, in in you know the common sense, uh, you know facts about energy and our traditional energy resources. This show is going to be a big part of it. Our our nonprofit is comprised of labor and energy leaders. Uh, we just did our big uh, you know initiative, uh, our Zoom. And so we had 30-some labor leaders and energy leaders on it. So we're real excited about it. And, of course, um, a lot of that conversation, today's topics, uh, you know, where do you you hear, I mean, we're talking about unrealistic EV mandates of the new EPA power plant rule being compared to Reggie on steroids, the next level carbon capture in its most unrealistic form, and EV batteries in China's monopoly monopoly on the entire industry. Um, And so I cannot... I cannot wait to have this conversation with Robert. Uh, Robert, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, thanks. Uh, great to be back with y'all. Well, it, 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 it is it is absolutely great to have you on. And 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 so the last time we talked, okay, uh, you know, on the transportation side, we talked about so many things. But on the and the transportation side, we were worried about you know the states opting into California's vehicle standard that bans the, the internal combustion engine by 2035, okay? Now the EPA is taking things to an entire new level. As I understand it, the, the states that usually opt into the California standards represent about 35% of the market, but the EPA is now looking to mandate 67% of new vehicle sales uh, in all states uh, so that, that they be EVs by 2032. Okay, and and that's crazy enough. But then the EPA takes it a step further and issues a power plant rule that will basically ban coal fired power plants without carbon capture and also ban natural gas plants that either don't capture their carbon or switch to green hydrogen by 2040 and 2035, respectively. I want to address these issues one at a time since they're so significant. Okay, if you would, let's talk about the EV mandates. Okay, you recently published a piece about how much money automakers are losing on EVs. I think the headline notes Ford lost 67000 for each EV it sold. If you would, give us an overview of this piece that you wrote. How, how, how can we mandate EVs to the masses when the automakers seem to be leading, when, 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 when the mandates seem to be leading our automakers on a path of bankruptcy? Well, those, that's a great question, but I know you want to separate them. I want to take them together. And here's where I want to take those two issues together because they are directly, directly related. Okay. So in last month, in April, you had the EPA issue this tailpipe rule, which would require, as you say, the, EV, the automakers to switch to two-thirds of their vehicles would have to be electric, right, by 2030, 2032. And then almost exactly a month later, the same federal agency issues a rule which could force the shutdown of huge quantities of generation capacity in the United States. So here's the Biden administration, and I'm not a partisan. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I am disgusted, gentlemen. But here is an agency that is part of the administrative state with no comfort, with no, you know, not so much as a hat tip to Congress, 
saying, first, you automakers, you have to make EVs and therefore in- dramatically increase the amount of electricity that's produced on the grid to fuel them. And then a month later says, we're going to effectively could, if it's, if it's, if it is put into place, would cripple the generation capacity across the United States by forcing utilities to use two technologies that are not only not available, even if they were available, are so incredibly expensive, it would force them out of the marketplace. So it, these things come together. And that's why I wrote the piece in the way that I did is because, you know, it, it added one last point, And that is that exactly a week before the EPA issues the new power plant rule, the commissioners from Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which oversees the bulk power uh, system in America, testified before the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee to warn them about a pending reliability crisis on our grid. So there's just this obtuse policy that's being made with no understanding of the physical reality and to your and to the point of your show the labor that is required to make all of this work. And it's interesting because you won't be able to charge the cars. Is that where is you're you're going to you're going to shut down the you know our 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 auto industry for making the internal combustion engines and at this point you're also making unrealistic uh, requirements. We're not going to have the energy to charge the cars. Well, and further, you know, just to hit the labor point again, what have the automakers been doing? They've been laying off tens of thousands of workers as they try to prepare for uh, a new set of automobiles that you're going to make that are going to be electric. So you're seeing huge dislocations in the automaker sector, in the auto sector, to try and uh, accommodate all these federal rules for electric vehicles. And what, does that have, what effect is that having on working-class folks? They're getting laid off, and white-collar folks as well. So there, there are many parts of this story that come together. And a lot of my work lately, I'm thinking about networks. I'm thinking about how these systems work together. And you know, with the Inflation Reduction Act, all these things that have been happening, government is putting its thumb on the scale, but it's not uh, you know, toward alternative energy. But with no recognition of all the other networks that have to be responsive to these uh, policy changes, and I think it's very worrisome because it's, there's so much money and, and and media push behind this with no consideration about how it affects the, the poor and working class folks. Robert, so, let me ask you real quick. Just excuse the ignorance of this question. There's a lot of smart people in this world. There's a lot of smart people running these. None of them live in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> I can't can't figure out what the hell's going on here. There are none of them at the EPA. Let's just just specify this. Right. (laughs) They got on the beltway and just kept going. So why isn't the auto industry pushing back on this? I mean, you know, I I, I understand that they tell everybody privately that mandating only EVs can uh, is is not achievable. Okay, Um, but but they're staying quiet publicly. What's the what's the issue here? Well, that's a good question, and I can't speak for them, of course, but, um, you know, my suspicion is it's kind of, I would say it's similar to the electric utilities in a given, like in a state, you know, and so you have a a utility that's been there for decades, and they have to deal with the regulators, and they have to deal with the legislators, and they know they have to, they can't move their business somewhere else. So if there's some policy that comes up that they don't like, rather than saying, oh, that's terrible, we're going to fight you every step of the way on this, they'll say, well, okay, but it, we'll need a little sweetener, right? You know, we need a little love, right? We need a loan, we need a this, we need a that. I, I think that explains some of this, that the automakers are going along to get along rather than trying to fight back. 
but let's be clear. <clears throat> you know, the piece I wrote on my Substack, robertbrice.substack.com, it's free, robertbrice.substack.com, about Ford is that Ford is losing over $66,000 for every electric vehicle they sold in the first quarter of this year. Well, how are they making up for that? Well, they're making profits on all of their traditional vehicles. So, you know, it, it, there's, there's this kind of, I don't know, schizophrenic thinking about how they're approaching this business. They're losing money on every car they sell, and they're not making it up for it in volume, but they're relying on their traditional business to fund the losses, and there are billions of dollars of losses on the EV side, in order to accommodate this political move by Washington to force the EVs into the market. And 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 it's and, and I think you know I think uh, talk about you know, the the JD Power survey you mentioned in your piece. Doesn't it say that more people indicate that they're unlikely to want an EV? Yeah, it does. And you know this is the other part of this. And I've talked about this for a long time. I've, you know, I my attitude toward electric vehicles is they're they're the next big thing. Yep. And they always will be. Right. We've heard about the hype for electric vehicles for a hundred years. This isn't a new technology. Right. And so who's buying them? It's the Benz and Beamer crowd. Yeah. That's who buys electric vehicles. It's not the working class folks. I travel a lot in rural America. I was in South Dakota. I was in Iowa both in the last couple of weeks. I don't see any Teslas out there. What do I see? A lot of F-150s, a lot of Silverados, a lot of Ram pickups. You know, so there's a class issue at work here. There's also an urban-rural divide at work here. But I think more fundamentally, this is a lot of policymaking that, and by people in Washington and and on the coast, being advocated by a lot of elite academics, they don't live in the real world. They've never had a blue-collar job. They don't know people who live in the blue-collar world, and they don't care about them. Yeah, and it's interesting because we've talked about uh, this issue many times. And, you know, listen, I I don't think anybody on this call is against uh, EVs, but mandating them and the impact that that creates on investment in our traditional energy resources uh, and and what's happening in the auto industry, um, you know, like you said, last I checked, the sticker price for these vehicles still puts them in the luxury category. By all means, let's bring in EVs, but let's not mandate them. Let them come into the and, and if you know if 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 your pat you can afford an EV and or or you know I mean eventually they're you know the, the prices are going to uh, you know come back to reality for regular folks. Awesome, but the EV mandates is where I have. Uh, a, a huge issue when you you talk about um, you know we, you know you mentioned obviously what the position of the automakers and the industry is about. Um, was talking to Brendan Williams and we were. Uh, do you think that the industry is just going along with this kind of because they they think if it looks like it won't work, ultimately they'll run to Congress and ask for a bailout. Oh, I think that, that you hit the nail on the head. I think that's exactly what they're thinking. Yeah, and that you know if this doesn't work well. We'll write down all these losses and we'll go to Washington and we'll get, you know, some more assistance. I think that that's definitely, that's definitely part of the, the, of the strategy. Now, is that spoken? Of course not. But, 
That's the American way. You privatize the profits and socialize the cost. I mean, come on, fellas. What do you, you, right. what do you wake up? <laughs> what else is new? And, and it's, fu- it's, it's funny because when you talk about your, 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 one, your piece notes that, uh, you know, one reason for the autos losing all this money is the cost of the battery packs increasing 7%. And we're going to get into the, the batteries in just a minute. But since we aren't approving more mines in the country anytime soon, the cost of these, uh, you know, EVs are going to continue to increase, correct? Well, here's how I see it. And by the way, so the, 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 to be clear about what's going on in terms of pricing, the average transaction cost on an electric vehicle at the end of last year was $65,000, grand. Now, I'm, I don't own an EV. I'm not in the market for one. I just put a new crate engine in my uh, 2005 Toyota 4Runner. Why? Because I looked at the price of new SUVs and new you know, comparable vehicles, and they're forty or fifty grand for a used one. So instead, I spent about fourteen grand and had my mechanic put in a new engine. Uh, to me, that's a better investment. Yep. But sixty-five thousand dollars for a new EV, I could buy if I were going to buy a new car. I could buy a brand new Benz, a fully loaded E four fifty for sixty-six grand. Why would I spend sixty-six grand or sixty-five grand, the same amount of money, on an electric vehicle that I can't drive from here to Tulsa, where my you know my my siblings live? Why, why and and do it in a reasonable reasonably shortened amount of time? Well, you know, there's this bias, and it's it's toward the elite consumers. And we keep hearing, and we've heard for a century, electric vehicles are going to be within reach of the average consumer. I can put you to a Washington Post from, article from 1915 saying this. But yet, we, there's just this kind of blithe assumption, well, the costs are going to come down. Well, maybe, but maybe what if, what if they don't? Right. Robert Bryce is our special guest here on the Labor and Energy Show. Just one programming alert as we, uh, throughout the show, as you know, as we go into our commercial breaks, stay attentive to uh, updated action alerts, which we drop into the Labor and Energy Show uh, each week. And then we also provide updates on some of our upcoming content and some of our special guests that are scheduled for us a little bit later on here. here in 2023. And of course, as JDoc mentioned, when we first came on the air, our initiative JDoc is starting to uh, blossom. We about four four minutes, four minutes and 30 seconds before we break here um, with Robert. Robert, is it realistic at all? <laughs> and I know, and I know I'm the dumb guy in the conversation just trying to process this. I don't get the mandate. What's the point? I don't. I, I just don't understand the reason there is why we're even having this conversation. A mandate isn't reality if I listen to this show. Well, so we can talk about the different mandates. So let's just look at the power plant rule. Okay, so here is a. It's a rule, and it's still being. It's still proposed. So there's going to be you know, comments on it. And there's no doubt that there's going to be litigation over this, that, that, that the utility companies and or the states are going to sue the Biden administration over this to prevent this from being enacted. And it's important also to note the Supreme Court is considering a case that could reverse uh, and could very sharply limit the powers of the administrative state, which I think it should. I think, you know, we've gotten to a point where this is the bureaucratic overreach in this country is just obvious. And this is another example of it. Um, but the, 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 this power plant rule, the, there are two things that are, are, are mandated. There's an either or. Either these power plants can use carbon capture and sequestration, 
which is an extraordinarily expensive technology. It has never been proven at scale. It, it, uh, to first off, it reduces the output of the power plant by more than a quarter, as much as a third of the power from the power plant. Then they call, it's called parasitic load. has to be used to capture the CO2. Then if you have the CO2, you have to force it somewhere underground. Well, you just do a basic little bit of math and use the EPA's own number, 600 million tons. We would have to create the oil industry in the United States in reverse to handle the amount of CO2 that they're talking about. This is not going to happen. This is just flat not going to happen. Uh, If it can't happen, it won't happen. So, I mean, it's just, you know, this is just an example of how disconnected from reality this this administrative state has become and yet they put it out as a serious proposal yeah and and here's the thing i mean there's so much to talk about on that issue robert and uh, what i'd like to do because that is and listen i'm a you know joe kraus and i we talk about this all the time regular people uh labor democrats you know common sense and when you read this people often have a, a thought that that it's a political discussion. Joe and I always say it's not a union issue. It's not a it, it's not a, a political issue. Uh, of course, it is because it, it, it's been made to be. But it's it's a human issue. Okay, and we're going to get into the new EPA rule when we come back back from the break. Okay, and I, I don't want to put that that's such a big deal. I want to roll with it. But but before we do, okay, and and I just want to before we segue into the break. Um, I, you know, I want to I want to f- uh, finish on the EV discussion uh, as it as it uh, pertains to the EV batteries, okay, and the slave labor and the monopoly China has on every facet. Because um, the, the EPA rule, like you just said, is twilight zone esque, and I, we're going to spend you know a large portion of the next segment. Uh, we, we've covered but we've covered the the, the 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 situation with the minerals for the EV batteries overseas and the child labor. We had Sid Carth. Siddharth Kara on the broadcast a, a couple of months back, who took the videos over there. Um, we also noted, uh, obviously, how China owns a lot of the mines and all the minerals need to be refined in China. Okay, this, you know, you talk about the Ford deal with the Chinese battery company called Contemporary Amperex Technology Limited, cattle, if you will, C-A-T-L. Um, and I think uh, Ford is building a battery plant in Michigan. But it's going to be operated by this this Chinese company I just mentioned. And I understand China is actually flying over Chinese management class, uh, a Chinese management class of employees to run this place. Before we go to break, what are your thoughts on this situation? What does it say about EV tech? And doesn't it raise some national security issues? Well, of course it does. And I'm not a China basher. China is going to take care of China. Of course, every country is going to look after their own national interests. But you talk about the batteries. Well, let me, let me just go beyond the batteries and talk about the magnets. And this is, there's a great, very, very sober report that was issued by the Department of Energy a year ago, February, in which they pointed out that 90% of the neodymium iron boron magnets, which are the key technology, the key magnets that are used, they have high coercivity that are used in these EVs. China controls 90% of the global market. So, yes, critical minerals, cobalt, batteries, but the actual components inside the motors that make these cars work, the critical technology is controlled by China. And not only is the critical technology, the manufacturing of these magnets controlled by China, so is the market for the rare earth elements. And the neodymium I mentioned already, but it's also dysprosium and, ter- and, and terbium. Those are the two rare earth elements that are needed to, to dope those magnets so they work at high temperature. So 
we're, the, the, the U.S. is unwittingly, unknowingly, unthinkingly walking into this supply chain situation that is going to put us, and I say us, the royal us, the royal we, our auto sector, at the mercy of supply chains that are controlled by China. Why in the name of Peter, Paul, and Mary would we do that? Exactly. The Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Our special guest is Robert Bryce. We'll take a short commercial break. Back on the other side. This is a Labor and Energy Action Alert. Did you know the Pennsylvania Water Resource Act, if passed, will charge Pennsylvania businesses for water usage integral to the operation of the businesses, many of which that provide PA residents with vital services. The expenses of charging for such water usage will be astronomical and may jeopardize the operations of the businesses themselves as well as jobs. Take action now. Subscribe to www.gov.net to track this legislation and call your PA state representatives and voice your opinion to oppose the Pennsylvania Water Resource Act. Quality PA businesses and good paying jobs depend on it. What's a Boilermaker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the labor union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in every week to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Great conversation today. If you miss any of the conversation with our special guest, Robert Bryce, remember you can go to uh, Apple or Spotify and just search 
the Labor and Energy Show. J-Doc, back over to you, sir. Yeah, we're continuing our conversation with Robert Bryce, acclaimed author, journalist, producer. Um, he's the uh, host of the popular uh, podcast, Power Hungry Podcast. Uh, also, Robert has been writing about energy power and innovation in politics for more than 30 years. His articles have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Forbes, just to name a few. Uh, Robert, let's, let's, let's talk about, let's segue into... Uh, you know, the new EPA rule, okay? And and some people are comparing it to, to Reggie on steroids. Um, we could talk about EVs all day, but the EV issue also begs the question, even if we wanted to go 100% EVs, um, would we have the electricity to do it, okay? Which brings me to the new EPA rule, kind of the way you were talking about it before, because they, you know, they, 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 they obviously, you know, they overlap, um, that essentially bans all fossil fuel-powered electricity that does not use carbon capture or switch to only green hydrogen by 2040. So first, can you explain what this EPA rule looks like to the audience? Well, sure. So it, 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 let's, let's put the scale of what is going on into, into, into some focus here, because this is the key part. So this new proposed rule, it's a regulation, what is it, 2060 AV09. So the, the, it says it wants to cut emissions from the power plant sector by 90% CO2 emissions. Okay, so let's look at the coal and gas-fired plants in America. They produce about nearly 60% of the electricity that is generated in the United States, roughly 60%. Okay, so that's about, what is it, so 20, uh, it's about 2,500 terawatt hours. Well, you take 90% of that, it's about 2,300 terawatt hours. Well, what is that? It's, tw- it's more than 10 times the amount of, of uh, electricity that's produced by the solar sector in the United States. It's, nearly, it's more than five times as much as produced by all of the wind turbines in America. It's almost three times greater than the amount of electricity produced by all the nuclear plants in the United States. The scale, gentlemen, J-Doc and Krause, that is being discussed here, the scale of what the EPA rule could achieve in terms of closing power plants in America is truly catastrophic. I mean, and yet no one is putting the numbers to this. I mean, it's just there. there is a, a myopia about this ideas around the electric grid. And, oh, we're just going to change it over, and we're going to make it into something else. I mean, even if it were possible, even if we had enough electric linemen to do it, which is a whole other discussion in terms of labor, the, 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 the potential impact on the consumer is just enormous. And and we're already seeing the, the, the consequences of these kinds of policies in states like California, which has seen their electric rates go up high, faster than any other state in America since 2008 when Schwarzenegger passed in or mandated this renewable mandates in California, which they've ratcheted up ever since. So it, there's just no sensibility about the scale of what is being proposed here by this EPA rule. I mean, if it is put in place, it will be truly catastrophic for the electric grid in this country. And that is not an overstatement. And, and, and in your uh, recent piece that kept me up all night last night after I read it, the EPA versus the grid, you noted that uh, FERC testified before Congress that the grid is facing a reliability crisis. Talk about what yeah. FERC said and, and how the administration expects to ban fossil fuel and all electricity without the use of carbon capture, given the issues that FERC highlighted. Right. Well, so it was May 4th, and this was a, 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 a hearing before the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. And all of the sitting members of the, of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission appeared at this hearing. So 
what did Willie Phillips, who's the acting chairman, said, I'm quoting here, we face unprecedented challenges to the reliability of our nation's electric system. Mark Christie said the same thing, that the U.S. grid is, quote, heading for a very catastrophic situation in terms of reliability. Another commissioner, James Danley, said there is a looming reliability crisis in our electricity markets. And what are the reasons? Well, the, the, the things they laid out were closing our coal plants too quickly. We're replacing a lot of reliable generation that is low-cost, affordable. Uh, it's low-cost. It's reliable. It's resilient. We're shutting down these coal plants in part because of federal regulations and in part because of heavily subsidized wind and solar. And James Danley, in his written remarks, talked about this. So we're, we're the, here are the FERC commissioners warning the top people in the Senate about this reliability crisis. And yet exactly a week later, on May 11th, the EPA puts out this rule that could force the closure of all of the coal plants in America and a majority, potentially, all, as much as 90 percent of all the gas plants. So, I mean, they're, they're, again, I, I can't state how potentially damaging this, this rule is. And yet, here you had, and these people just drive me loony around the bin. As my late brother John Bryce said, it just grills my cheese. You have the Environmental Defense Fund, the head of the Environmental Defense Fund, Fred Krupp, saying, oh, this is going to be great. You know, yeah. it, I'll, I'll quote him directly here. What did he say? Uh, that... This is going to is this is bring us closer to a clean energy future with healthier air, safer climate, good jobs, and affordable, reliable electricity. That's just I'm sorry, that is a bold faced lie yeah. by one of by the head of a one of the biggest environment NGOs in America. Just for him to say that is no connection to reality. It's just not true. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, you get me all worked up here, guys. I mean, <laughs> but it's funny because you're talking about you know the fossil fuel. Uh, uh, requirements, okay. You, you, you talk, you, so PGM said it, it doesn't think the region will have enough electricity uh, in in 2032 because the fossil fuel retirements are outpacing renewable generations generation additions, okay. Uh, and you mentioned, and we're going to get into carbon capture in, in a minute. But when I think about uh, in, in, in the, in the PGM report, um, which came out well before the, the, the EPA proposal, what 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 does this EPA rule mean for natural gas and coal states like Pennsylvania? I mean, it seems like, like I said, Reggie on steroids. Well, exactly. And so there's this assumption that, oh, we'll just replace it with a lot of wind and solar capacity, right? You know, which are politically popular. Let's be clear. A lot of people like the idea of wind and solar. But what I've documented as well, and it's on my Substack, robertbrice.substack.com, many times in, across rural America, in Pennsylvania, I was in Wisconsin just a few days ago, uh, in, 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 in Iowa, there is a full-scale revolt across rural America opposing the installation of these massive solar and wind projects. Right. So again, a disconnect between the physical reality of the grid and what is required to operate it and the policy that is being promulgated by the bureaucrats in Washington with the full-throated support of the what I call the anti-industry industry, the, right. the NGOs that, that like the Environmental Defense Fund, Sierra Club, Natural Resources Defense Council. I think these these groups are a, a, a true threat to prosperity in America, and I don't say that lightly. Well, but they are pushing these policies that are terrible for the working class. They're terrible for low-income consumers, and yet here the EPA is just making you know proposing these rules that could have 
just catastrophic effects on the grid. Well, it's interesting because when we uh, got into this, uh, you know, heavily once when we were one of the first things we we, we heard because we were you know we talked about so we have a lot of unions that are focused on the energy sector and uh, sure one of their one of our labor leaders John John Bland who's retiring pretty soon but one of you know his his very innocent quote was um, talking about when did we stop working together. I mean, if we coordinated this thing, okay, nobody's not, nobody's saying we, we you know, listen, that we're, we're against renewables coming into the market. But when you look at the unrealistic and really you know, Twilight Zone-esque stuff going on, okay, it's it's literally mind-boggling. But if you, with, with, you throw on top of that. Well, I think I was looking at the last interview that we talked uh, you know that that, that we, the first question that we asked you was, was: Is it a true statement to say that most Americans, even environmentally conscious Americans, including our political leaders and policymakers, do not understand the true de- the true uh, details about energy and the environment? That was my question to you. Could you uh, elaborate on that again? Because it seems like the conversation we're having right now, uh, you know, lends itself to that to that discussion. Well, sure. And, and I think it's absolutely true. Our, you know, the overwhelming majority of Americans don't understand energy and power. They don't understand the difference between the two. Energy is the ability to do work. Power is the rate at which work gets done. We don't really care about energy. What we want is power. But people don't understand this, and particularly our policymakers don't understand this. And who are our policymakers? They're almost all lawyers. And why are they lawyers? Because they couldn't do the math to get into engineering school. So, <laughs> so we're, being, we're being led by a lot of people who don't know anything about right. the physical world or how it actually works, right? right? So they're lawyers. And what are they going to respond to? They're going to respond to a lot of popularity contests, right? Which And so wind and solar are popular. But I think there's another part of this, gentlemen, that we're not talking about that I think I want to really emphasize, which is when you look at what is going on, and particularly with the Inflation Reduction Act, and you look at the massive subsidies that are in play for all of these alt-energy technologies, whether it's hydrogen, which we talked about a little bit, but particularly wind and solar, what's going on? This is a run on the Treasury in the name of climate change, yep. and it is being done by big banks, big business, and big law firms, because the opportunity here for them to collect not just billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars of federal money, that's what's driving this. It's not about, I I don't think I'm cynical to say this, I don't think it's about climate change at all. I think it's just about the money. Follow the money. This is one of the oldest axioms in politics. You talked about the subsidies subsidies in your your article uh, where, uh, you know, Companies and organizations can get literally; they can pay zero, you know, for, you know, for for this technology. For you know, when you talk about renewals, it, it's so it just creates a, a, a ridiculously unrealistic situation. By the way, and when 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 speaking of unrealistic situations, okay, we're going to segue to the carbon capture that we talked about uh, a couple minutes ago, um, and you mentioned. Uh, you know, so we like carbon capture, okay? It, you know, we, we uh, it, you know, it holds promise, but uh, you know, we've been talking about it for a long time. A lot, of, you know, a lot of people concerned about the expense and all those things, but it's, it's, um, you know, essentially, it's, it's capturing, uh, you know, carbon uh, from fossil fuel, you know, uh, and 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 it, it it creates a good situation. Let's let's look at this situation. 
we, we're, we're, you know, obviously it, it, it's been talked about. It's, it's, a, it's a leading technology, but we, like you said, we haven't perfected it yet. Um, and, and capturing essentially all carbon from fossil fuel power plants within a decade is to, to say it's a massive undertaking is the understatement of the century. You discussed this in your piece, of course, and, and talk about the volume of carbon. We would need to build pipes and storage for it in the case that we actually try to meet this EPA rule, particularly discuss the comparison you drew to the size of the U.S. oil industry. Sure, sure. So the numbers matter, right? And I talked to make a joke about the lawyers and engineers, which has, you know, I use that line a lot, but it happens to be true, right? So let's look at the, the numbers and the scale here about what is being discussed. So the EPA, and, I've, and I wrote about this, what's interesting, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm turned 63 this year. I've been in journalism my whole career, never had a real job. But I find I just repeat myself over and over as I keep my job. Right. Well, 13 years ago in my book, Power Hungry, I talked about CCS, and I talked about the scale issue and how much volume of material would be required under carbon capture and sequestration. Okay, so I just updated those numbers, and I looked at the mass of material the EPA is talking about. They're saying by 2042, it'll save 600 million tons of CO2. Okay, we'll just do the simple math here. 600 million tons per year, there are roughly seven tons of of oil per barrel, right? Or seven barrels per ton. Right. So you do the simple math on a per day basis. You translate that 600 million tons of, of, of per, per year of CO2 into a mass equivalent of oil. You're talking about 12 million barrels a day of, of, of volume, of mass equivalent, right? So to achieve what the EPA is saying, roughly, in rough terms, to capture all the CO2 from all these power plants would require creating the entire U.S. oil industry in, in reverse. reverse. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it, and that's assuming you're going to be able to, to build the pipelines. And this is the other part. You know, I, as I said, I was in Iowa. I've been, you know, I travel around. I speak to cooperatives and rural uh, groups all the time. To move on in rural America to prohibit the construction of CO2 pipelines. These Mainly these are for ethanol plants. But the same is going to be true if they tried to do it with power plants. We can't build enough pipelines to move oil and gas around, things right. that are worth something. You think it's going to be easy to build pipelines that could move a colorless, odorless, worthless gas that's heavier than air and an asphyxiant? You think it's going to be easy to permit that? I don't. Right. It's, and, and, you know, we see it every day. I mean, aren't people protesting these new redu renewable projects more and more? Okay. I mean, I keep reading stories about uh, wind killing uh, whales offshore. Okay. Um, you know, you, you, you talk about building the pipelines. We see uh, the, 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 you know, we see how long it takes to, to, and, and, and to deal with the different communities and all those things. Um, just, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, do they ever explain those situations? Do they talk about where the rubber meets the road? You know, people want something done or, you know, they want to create a, a concept, but they don't really want to do what it takes to do that. And this is, you know, incredibly unrealistic and would take decades and decades and decades and probably not get passed in, in, in you know, nearly enough communities to even give it any water. Well, and this is, again, the, the, where the physical world is different from the policy world. And when I think about this, kind of as I step back, so let's kind of forget about for a moment or just step back from all this discussion of specifics of EPA and CCS and CARS and the rest of it. What is the battle that is on? And I think it is a battle in America. It's between the 
abstract policy people and the people who work with their hands. And I know you, you know, this is a labor show. Who do I, I hope to represent? Who do I think about when I write? Who do I think about when I talk about these issues? I love the people who turn wrenches. I love the people who fix things, grow things, make things work, right? Those are, I love those people. People who wear, who have the names on their shirts. Those are the people that I care about. Right. But what is the battle in America today? It's between these policy groups, including the NGOs, the anti-industry industry, the environmental defense fund, Sierra Club, the rest of them. All they have to do is push policy. They don't have to deal with anything in the real world. And on the other side are the people who have to deliver electrons and molecules. You know, the people who work in power plants and refineries and, you know, work in pipelines and service stations, that ones who car people who fix cars. Those people have to make things work in the physical world. They have to move molecules and electrons. Whereas the policymakers, the, the, you know, this, they live in the abstract world, and for them, success is just passing policy. And then they go back to their funders and say, see, we passed a ban on natural gas in Berkeley, California. Give us more money. And the, and the, and the foundations and the big billionaires like my, you know, Jeff Bezos and Michael Bloomberg give them more money. And so it's an, it's an asymmetric fight. That's the punchline here. There's an asymmetric battle going on in America between these people who live in the abstract policy world and the people who live in the physical world. And that includes your people, the people who work in these union jobs and, and work in the, and deliver electrons and molecules. And they have to do it every day. Right. right. And, and, and so that's the asymmetric fight that we're that, that, that I observe and the one that is the root at the root of this. Robert, obviously we want to thank you so much for being our guest on the broadcast. It's been fantastic. Uh, you know, a very enlightening conversation. We can't can't wait to have you on back again. Robert Price, ladies and gentlemen. Good stuff from Robert. Always a- Always, always a pleasure, gentlemen. I'm happy to be on. Good stuff from Robert Bryce joining us here on the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. On behalf of Robert, on behalf of J. Doc, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896. That's right, 1896. And specializes in welding, piping, mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management, and rigging design services. For a free consultation, call Neuter at 314-421-7600. Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing, power generation, and alternative energy. Get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600. The Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS carpenters consider a career with the international brotherhood of boilermakers as a boilermaker apprentice you'll earn while you learn we offer excellent wages and benefits and as part of our no-cost hands-on apprenticeship program you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job become a union boilermaker and get on your way to a great career 
visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded.